I'm just going to read our Proverbs verse, which was the scripture from last week as well, um, and then pray for us. That's Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Please pray with me again. Jesus, we love you and thank you for this day. Please be with Brian as he speaks and us while we receive your word. I pray that you would teach us to be honest and generous and um, to regard your Holy Spirit with respect and to understand the power um, that you make available to us through your grace. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Just uh, one last other just, just quick announcement, and that is just to be um, uh, in memory of Aubrey and, uh, and Krista. They both um, have babies due very soon, so I think Aubrey is actually past due a little bit, and Krista is coming up soon. So <clears throat> if you remember them, to be in prayer with, for them. We are studying um, the heart, and we started that last week. And we are um, going to do that again this morning, and we're going to focus on um, something specific this morning. But I want to begin by looking at uh, these two proverbs, and these are are two verses that you can memorize and and hold dear to you. And we looked at Proverbs 4.23 last uh, last week, and that is that we are to um, guard our hearts with all diligence. And um, one thing I forgot to mention last week is that um, there is an author, seminary professor named Wayne Grudem, who did a lot of writing on that verse, and that was um, a major um, influence on my life and shaped a lot of what I said last week. This morning, um, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And um, so we are talking about total trust with your heart. We are talking about total guarding of your heart. And these verses, um, I'll just to let you in, uh, you know, in a part of my life, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 um, became meaningful to me in high school. And so it's been a long time for me. And, and maybe you were asked to memorize that verse in Sunday school. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do that. Um, but it was very meaningful to me. And, and have you ever had things in your life that are um, deeply personal to you that don't necessarily always make sense to other people? Uh, maybe you've had something like that. But I'll, I'll tell you just a quick story about Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And uh, when I was in high school, one of the things I enjoyed doing was playing baseball. And um, my, my biological dad, who I mentioned before but passed away when I was young, he was a, an exceptional baseball player, and I was always reminded by um, my family about like how good he was, and um, and and I was pretty good, and but I always felt like this pressure, like he he'd hit home runs like over the fence, and I would I could hit singles <laughs> every once in a while, maybe a double, but I felt like this pressure inside. Right? And, and, and we've, that's something that we've probably all experienced in life, where we just feel pressure in life. 
And like, like you never measure up. Like you're never good enough. Like you never succeed. You never meet people's expectations. And so for me, I, someone pointed that verse to me. So I, it became my little ritual that when I was on deck, I would, I would quote that verse in my heart. That it, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like the, the ultimate thing in life that matters most is that you're putting your heart fully in God's hands. That you're putting your full and complete trust in him. And verse 6 says that you, you don't lean on your own understanding. If you go on your own understanding, we go down dark roads. And we allow our minds and our hearts to go down um, trails that are often self-destructive. And so, um, for the next few weeks, as we think about issues of our hearts, I just encourage you to memorize these verses. That above all else in your life, put your full trust in God. And don't trust your own understanding. Because we can easily deceive ourselves. When I was in college, I became familiar with Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that we are to be on total alert, full guarding of our heart. And the reason why that um, that verse became meaningful to me in college is that my temptation was to, um, to go down the road of self-pity and, and make excuses for life. Like, life doesn't seem fair to me. So I'm going to engage in self-pity. I'm going to engage in pride, and I'm going to engage in making excuses for my life, and all of these things. Pick, pick your road you're going to go down. And someone said, you know what? You need to like, kind of grow up and guard your heart against these things that are going to take you down a dark road. Grow up emotionally. Grow up spiritually in your life. And protect your heart from these things that while they look good, they're actually just deceptive. And so these are these two um, concepts. Put your full trust, put your total trust, and guard your heart. Be full guarding. Those are the pillars on which we will um, be talking about for the next several weeks. And so this morning, you know, part of my goal is to take an abstract thought like trusting in God or guarding your heart and make something very specific and tangible that we can all do. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about guarding our hearts, full trust in God, and how that relates to money and material things. Money and material things. I will confess that I'm not a huge fan of punk rock. But I like a little bit of it. And uh, I, I listened to an interview this week. And I know that you might know some of these people and you might not. But there was a famous surfer. I actually think he was a world champion surfer named Mark Occhilupo. And he has this podcast where he interviews people. And one of the interviews that I listened to this week was of um, Iggy Pop, who was kind of, I guess, kind of considered the, the grandfather of punk rock. He's an old guy now. Kind of in amazing shape still. Known, famous for doing like this, and he's not a hero to me, but it's known for doing very strange things that um, aren't even worth mentioning right now. But one of the things that caught my attention in this interview was his honesty. 
And I think one of the things that is very hard about churches is to be honest about what's really going on in life, honest about what's going on in the church, honest about what's going on in the culture. And here's what he said, his honesty. I don't know where I put it, but I can quote it. He said this. This was in early 1970s. He was living in Los Angeles. And he said this, that the Los Angeles culture and kind of the, our American culture is driven by money. And he said, I cannot do my art in a culture that is obsessed with money. It prevents me from being creative. Because what happens is the pressure to create music that sells is more important than creating music that is from my heart. So he moved to Berlin and, and, and played music with David Bowie for a while. But what was valuable to me just about that is like, you know what? I think he's being honest. And he's, he's being honest maybe to a degree that we don't even like to think about or that we are comfortable with. And even the topic of, of, of money in church maybe doesn't make you the most comfortable. But so what, right, I guess? So let's look and see. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a few Proverbs because Proverbs are accessible in our minds and in our hearts. Um, but before we do that, let me give you a definition of, of the heart, of what the Bible says the heart is. And this time it's from um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he says this, so we're all on the same page. The heart is the center of the personality. The heart includes the feelings and emotions, but also something deeper. There is a center to every one of us, a great center out of which everything comes, which controls everything, and our trouble is there. So, we're focusing on the invisible you, that part of you that controls everything. It's your thinking, it's your will, it's your emotions, it's your feelings, it's your passions. It's everything. And so we want to make this connection. How do you honor God with your wealth? How do you honor God with your money? And Proverbs um, gives us some insight. So if you have your Bible, I always invite you to have your Bible. I will say this. Don't trust the preacher. Have your Bible so you can read it for yourself. Make sure that I'm staying on course. This is Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 9, so just a few verses later where um, the author says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. All right, so that's, that's the broad point there. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Then he's going to give some specific examples. And verse 9 is a specific example. Honor the Lord with your wealth. All right, so here's, just, here's principle number one. Honor God with your wealth. Out of your heart... Honor God with your wealth. All right? The broad context is this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and out of that, honor God with your wealth. That is, that is the broad point. And then, the Proverbs goes on and says this. With the first fruits of all of your produce. So, you honor God with your wealth by thinking of Him first. Your first produce. And verse 10 is interesting. And then it says, Then your barns will be filled with plenty, 
and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's interesting, this, this idea of honoring God with your wealth, and what does that produce in your life? He doesn't say, uh, he doesn't say like a, a backpack full of grain, not a wheelbarrow full of grain. He says like a, this large storage container. He doesn't say um, that you're going to have a glass of wine. He says vats. So large, large amounts that when you honor God with your wealth out of your heart, that there's blessing that comes into your life. All right? Let me just give you, without turning to Proverbs, let me just give you some things that you might know already and then some things maybe that you don't know. Number one is this. The book of Proverbs says all kinds of positive things about money. That money is a good thing. That it can be used for so many helpful things. The Proverbs says things like this. If you work hard and do your work with honesty and integrity, that God will bless you. That there is reward for people who do that, who are committed to working hard and doing their work with integrity and honesty. So there, we're not going to look at them, but there are Proverbs after Proverbs after Proverbs that talk about the benefits and the good thing about money. On the other hand, money is like fire. It's a really good thing, but it's also a very dangerous thing. Kind of like God. God is a good God, but not to be played with. As C.S. Lewis says, he's a good lion, he's not a tame lion in Chronicles of Narnia. So, what are the warnings? Well, Proverbs has all kinds of warnings, and these are things that we are all familiar with. Money has the power to harden your heart. It has the power to make you do unethical things, to make money by being deceitful. By all these things that we just know, like if, you, if you've lived in the business world and, and, and had a job, you know we've, we all experience money has the power to turn people into creeps. It can just do this. But I think one of the things that we don't talk about as much, or that we don't think about as much, is that money has the power to make you super busy. Think about the word business. Busyness. It can make your life really, really, really busy. And then you make money, and then you get really busy, busy, busy spending it. I know, because I talk to you, and people tell me, I'm just quoting in general things people tell me, about the amount of time we look on the internet for looking at trucks and um, tires and mountain bikes and surfboards and all these things that I do too. We, how can we spend, so you work hard, you're busy, 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 working hard, making money, and then you spend time busy, 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 how can I spend it? It doesn't stop. And the problem with this is this. Busyness prevents you from asking what life is really about. That is one of the key problems. Are you aware of this? That the busyness of life, the busyness of making money, that prevents you from stopping and thinking and asking the questions of life that you ask when you are on your deathbed. What are you really accomplishing in your life? As we've all heard before, nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I'd spent more time making money. 
You think about your family on your deathbed. You think about eternity. You think about people you love. And what's important, as you are aware, the money has the power to do that to all of us. Proverbs says this, that money does not help you cultivate love. Money does not help you cultivate character. Money does not help you cultivate healthy relationships. All the things that we know, when you stop and think about life, that what's really, really important, money cannot buy. Money cannot provide for you. One of the biggest delusions that money brings into our lives is we think that it brings safety into our lives. If I just have this amount of money, then my life is safe and secure. And the book of Proverbs says that that is a delusion. That no amount of money can prevent your heart from being broken. No amount of money can prevent a friend from stabbing you in the back. No amount of money will prevent you from dying. Doesn't keep you safe, doesn't keep you healthy. It's only faith in Christ. And so again, as I said, the book of Proverbs says money can do all these great things. It can be used for such good things. Just don't allow it to trick you into thinking that it can provide things for you that it cannot. It cannot provide for you trust in God. It cannot provide for you growth in Christ. It cannot shape your character. So this morning we are going to look for just a, a few moments um, at Acts, Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, and think carefully for a moment um, and, and give you a context of the church about how we can actually honor God with our money. So again, as I said in the beginning, that my goal is to take an abstract truth that generosity from the heart is what's most important and that you are to honor God out of your heart. Trying to make that idea real in your life so that it changes how we live. All right, so turn for just a, 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 a few moments here to Acts chapter 4, and let me give you the context. Acts chapter 4, we have it on your bulletin. I meant to say this earlier, but if you can underline something. Um, let's begin in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed. And the two key words there are this, who believed. This new community of people that God is creating is formed around those who have believed. These are people who have put their faith and trust in Christ. So all of these meaningful things are happening. God is doing all of these miraculous things. This new community is being formed. And at this point, there are literally um, you know, three, four, five thousand people who are forming this new community. And it says this, that they are of one heart and one soul. And no one was in need. So one of the very clear, crystal clear characteristics of the early church was generosity was generosity. But equally true is at this same time, 
Something happens from within the church. This is so important for us to understand. If we're being honest and thoughtful people, but the greatest danger to our church is not something outside, not, some, not somebody who has a different belief than us. It's danger from within. All right, and here is the danger. Chapter 5, verse 1 says this, But a, na- a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. All right, so, great, they sold a piece of property. Now, where is that coming from? Here is the context. There is another guy named Joseph who did the same thing. In fact, this guy Joseph was so cool, he even had a nickname, and that was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a piece of property, brought it to the um, apostles' feet, and laid the money there. And that's a pretty cool thing. Husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, are like, hmm, that's cool. People are like, people like Barnabas. He even has this really cool name. Maybe we should try something like that. Maybe we could, maybe we can gain some recognition. Maybe we can gain some uh, attention to ourselves. And so they sell their piece of property and lay part of it out. Now here, this is, what, this is what's so important to understand. That visible acts do not impress God. That visible acts of religious activity are not impressive to God. Now, here's what's, this is critical to understand. Um, verse 4 says this. <clears throat> Peter speaking. While it remained unsold... Here's the property. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? So he's saying this. This is your own private property. No one is telling you to sell this property. It's your property. Do whatever you want with it. Please don't don't think that uh, the church is saying you need to sell your property now. No one is saying that. And then, look, he, he continues and says this. After it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? No one is saying after you sold the property, you have to give anything. In fact, here's a rule. You should never feel pressured to give. You should never feel external pressure. And if I ever make you feel pressured to give or anyone else, don't do it. Be like, you're pressuring me. Don't ever, don't ever give one so You know why? Because that's not from your heart. And the best example of this is in Mark chapter 12, when the poor widow gives a couple little pennies and all the rich guys laying out their big fat checks, making these large donations and Jesus calls his disciples and says, hey guys, come here, look. Look what's happening here. She is giving out of her poverty. She's giving from her heart. And Jesus points to her, not the large donor, the little, just, and you have to use your imagination a little bit, but think about a poor widow living in first century Palestine. Think about her quality of life. A poor widow, and she is giving generously. And Jesus points to her this little tiny amount that has no impact, and he uses her as the example. And so what was happening is Ananias and Sapphira were creating this external pressure 
to be recognized as important people, as significant people. And Peter says, verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And do you see the danger that can happen within the church? It is possible for all of us that pride creeps in, that desiring positions of power creeps in, that the desire for recognition, all of these things. And Peter says that this desire, these feelings can be used by Satan, the enemy, to destroy the church. And so when we talk about our heart, Peter, or the author Luke here, is, is saying clearly that the enemy is always looking for ways to destroy and hurt the body of Christ. And the strategies are consistent. Pride, ambition, self-love, self-centeredness. And you know what? All of these things are in all of our hearts. They're in my hearts, my heart, equally as everyone else's. And we self-justify, we self-adjust generosity. I was, uh, I was looking at our tax return. We just finished our taxes. And I'll just, let me be honest for a moment about how we can, we can all play games. We can all play financial games. I looked at our tax return and the amount that Karen and I made this year was far lower than I thought. I was like, hey, that looks like super low. I thought, and, and, I, and but here's, look, here's, here's how we can play games. Look, I, I can take that number and what Karen and I, we, what we think about, what we, what we do, is we think ahead of time, how much money do we want to give? We want to think it out ahead of time because I know that I will always give less. I just know that I'm, I can be very selfish. So I have to pre-plan generosity. And if I, uh, you, guys are, you guys are different. You're just naturally bubbling with generosity. <laughs> aren't you? Just all the time. No, you're not. <laughs> I, can, I can take this number and the, the um, number that we give can make it look like I'm giving a lot of money. But then my wife reminded me, she said, Brian, that number does not include the housing allowance. Now, I'll, I will spare you tax laws and pastors, but I, I, the short and simple thing is this, is that as a pastor, I'm like viewed as like a dual income status. And so, and one of the benefits kind of of that is I can get a housing allowance, but that's not viewed as a, as a salary. She's like, and the church gives us lots of money to pay for like housing in Malibu, we all know is expensive. So that's a lot of money but that is not included on the tax return. If I want to play games with people, I can just show you my tax return, and it looks like I'm a very generous person. I'm excluding a whole chunk of money. My point is this. We all play our little games. We, we are all capable of doing that in our hearts. In our hearts. Where nobody else can see. And a lot of this has to do with you know what this has to do with? It has to do with fear. And that's why I'm asking you to memorize Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. He promises to take care of us. He promises that He will be there. 
So this story goes on. They lay this money out. Peter says, you're not being honest. You're, you're being deceitful. And then like this, I've never spoken on this passage because it's such a horrible passage. He drops dead. He's like, he, he, he dies right there. And he like calls the guys in the back, hey, carry this guy out. We're going to go dig a hole right back there. And that's what it says. And then, and then look, it, says, it gets worse, I'm sorry. Um, verse 7 says this, after an interval of, of about three hours, I guess it was a long church service, about three hours his wife came in and not knowing what had happened, Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. Right? They've just come back. They're all sweaty from digging in the dirt, burying her husband. And immediately she falls down dead too. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all, and upon all who heard of these things. And the point is this. This is an act of complete, pure hypocrisy. And it's danger from within the church because God knows our hearts. God knows the things we do. I think the interesting footnote about this, and I was thinking about that this week, is this. Here's a, here's a good, I think, a, a reminder for, for women if you're married here this morning. Like if your husband tries to do a shenanigan with money, and we're good at it, don't go along with it. Don't, don't go along with some like little plan, some little conniving plan that men come up with. Like eat no work, lots of money in return. Right? That's how we think. What's the like minimum amount of work I can do and get massive reward? Like stop your husband from doing these things. All right. I'm almost done. Let's look at what actually happened then. Go back to chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart. So let's very briefly look at two effects, two genuine effects of what happens to the human heart when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Let me give you one last quote. This was just... Um, so meaningful from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones about, um, about this passage. It's from a sermon I read this week. And, and it, it's a few little slides, but just, we'll just take it slow. And this is, this is critical. The first purpose of the gospel message is to get us to realize that we are living in a spiritual world, in a spiritual realm. The greatest lie of the devil is materialism, whatever form it may take. So the world forgets the unseen, the supernatural, the eternal. And ultimately, that is the cause of all <clears throat> life's tragedies, of all, of all of life's tragedies. We are reminded of that truth here. The believers were meeting together and praying when suddenly God acted and the whole situation changed. Generosity. But we are reminded equally of the constant operation of Satan who in his hatred for God is always doing his utmost to mar God's work. 
whether it be the original creation or this new creation called the church. And that is the idea that we need to be alert. We need to guard our hearts against pride, against selfishness, against desiring recognition, of desiring status. So two results, and I'm just going to focus on one for time this morning. One primary result we see here is this, is that when you put your belief in Christ, we see that your love for money and material things is cut away, and it creates a new love for people. It's not saying that material things are bad. Of course material things are good, that we keep them in the right place, that money and material things are okay, they're good, they're to be used in a meaningful, good way, to be a blessing to people. But it cuts our love. It cuts the affections of our heart towards material things, towards money. And this guy named Barnabas is an example. Let's look at, for a moment, what, what's happening. So verse 33 says this, With great power the apostles are giving their testimony to the resurrection of Christ. They're giving testimony to their faith in Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Mega grace. That, that's another way of saying there was great love for one another. It's another way of saying that we're, we overlook the mistakes that we make. We give grace to each other. Husbands were giving grace to their wives. Wives giving grace to their husbands. Church people were giving grace to each other. It was a grace-filled place. It was not, the opposite would be a critical place, a condemning place. And then it says this, there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses sold and brought proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So people detached their feelings for temporary things, and the love that was created was a love for people. And then it gives a specific example. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet to help the poor, to help the hurting, to help people who had spiritual needs. And so we learn that when your faith is activated, when your faith is no longer in yourself, and is put into Christ, what happens is you have a new love for people. A new love for people more than you love your money or material things. And so we could sum up this message by saying, be a Barnabas, not Ananias. Be generous from your heart. Honor God with your wealth. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Guard your heart from the things of this world. Protect your heart because your heart is so important. Your heart is valuable. Why? Because that is the control center of who you are. And I believe that the unspoken elephant in the room that as Christians we are hesitant to talk about is that money has far more control or power over us than we would be comfortable to admit. Well, remember Ziggy Pop, the crazy guy who does punk rock and crazy things. And he was honest, so we can be honest. 
We can search our heart. We can desire to live faithfully. <clears throat> Final thought. And the, and the, the essence of the song that we sang this morning, um, that Shane sang this morning, is repentance. It's being honest about our lives and the things that our hearts are attached to. And the essence of the Christian life is, God, I'm, I've made a mistake. Forgive me. It's what David says in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Re renew my heart. The essence of the Christian life is honesty and asking God to create in you a clean heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the clarity of your word. I pray that you would create within all of us clean hearts. That we would honor you from our hearts, with our wealth, with our money, our material things. Father, if we're honest, those things can easily grab us and pull our hearts away from you. Father, I pray that you would create within us hearts of generosity, of our time, of our friendship, generous with forgiveness to people who make mistakes, generous with our money, generous with our love, generous with grace, because we all need it. Father, we love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.